as you will probably notice during this episode, our audio quality is not where we would like it to be. We are actively working to resolve the issues that we're experiencing recording in our new office space, Um, and I do appreciate your patience as you listen. Hopefully you can get past the echoes and the strange sounds um, and find the content and the discussion valuable, Um, but we will get this resolved as soon as we can. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Our theme for the month of August is handling objections. Here on the podcast, you've heard a lot of our speakers and guests talking about it, and you can check out the blog where we share best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and this is a little bit of a different episode. We have an excellent guest on today that I'll be introducing momentarily, but I also have our CEO, Charles Bernard, with me. Um, So our guest is the founder and president of Honest Insights, an executive coaching, consulting, and sales and leadership training firm. He's also a group chair at Vistage Worldwide, an exclusive organization of CEOs and executive leaders. He really focuses on working with leaders who are committed to building better versions of themselves and growing their companies. Our guest today is George Jensen. Hi, nice to be with you. All right, so George comes into this episode with a lot of experience, um, specifically on the buying side, and he really speaks from that perspective. He's also an expert in sales, and so he'll, he'll be talking on that side. But the reason that we have Charles here is Charles can really speak from that selling side. He also represents a buyer, but so it's going to be um, a, hopefully a very interesting conversation for our listeners today, hearing both perspectives, people with a lot of experience in both sides. So I wanted to actually just start um, with you, George, I just shared some highlights of your bio. Our listeners know a lot about Charles, but could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, maybe talk a little bit about where your passion for sales and business began, or some of the key points on the journey to where you are today. Well, I think my passion for business um, started at a very young age. I remember I was playing grocery store in the basement of the house where I grew up, and I, of course, wanted to be the manager <laughs> at a very young age, and... So I started working at the age of 14, and I've never stopped, and I can't imagine myself, you know, not working. And so I spent a lot of years on the media agency side, working at different WPP companies, um, such as Media NCIA, and Rubicam, and I was a managing partner at Blue Band, which is a media investment arm of WPP when I left. And so I'd estimate throughout my long career, I probably set them close to 1,000, you know, sales calls. So I've worked with a lot of sellers, <laughs> a lot of sales meetings over the course of my career. And it's one of the highlights of my job because I'm naturally curious by nature. My mom says that I started doing puzzles at a very young age. And I've always thought it was a symbiotic relationship between buyer and seller and that really the best sellers are solutions providers. So mm-hmm. I really think of sellers as partners, not as vendors. And that's really been how I approach them throughout the years. Definitely. Totally agree with that, George. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned in the intro, in August, we're focused on handling objections. And that's the theme that we've been talking about all month. I'd love to hear from both of you. 
what do you think an objection represents, both from the selling side and the buying side? And I'd like to hear both of you really think in both of those shoes. So why don't we start with you, Charles? That's an interesting question. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, so I'm going to attempt to characterize a seller coming into a meeting, being prepared for objections. And if you uh, have attended trainings, my trainings, other people's trainings, there's usually somewhere in there an emphasis on handling objections, quote unquote. And so I think there is a disconnect in some cases, probably in many cases, between what a buyer says and whether they think that's an objection and what a seller hears and whether they think that's an objection. And oftentimes um, they're not they're not aligned, they're disconnected. So I'll, I'll just kind of like throw it over to George because I wanted to see what his perspective is on, on buyer versus seller talking about the same thing when we talk about objections. Well, I think for most sellers, they, review, they think of an objection more as rejection, right? Mm -hmm. And no yeah. one likes to be rejected. So what happens? A lot of times they end up being very defensive or getting angry, but I've read a quote once who said that if you're not having, if you're not being challenged during the sales meeting, then it's not a good meeting. Because mm -hmm. how many times have we all set the meetings, right? Where the person on the other side of the desk is shaking their head, right? Like a parakeet and, you know, saying that was a great meeting, we'll get back to you. And then it's crickets, right? When I hear that, I usually get very concerned. Like not one question, not one challenge. That's okay. usually a bad sign. You want to know. Yeah, right. right. If someone has any issues that we're gonna that you can address, because you'd rather know it up front. And Charles, you hit the nail on the head when we talked about being prepared, um, so that you can handle any objection that might come up. So I wonder how many of your clients actually have in their playbook a common list of objections, and then how they might be prepared to respond. Yeah, I think um, philosophically, my perspective evolves with time. I think. Old school selling was very sort of tit for tat. They say this, I say this in response. I think today people are a little more conversational and I think, yes, it's good to be prepared, but not as a as, as someone who's just going to give a quick response and come across maybe as less sensitive, robotic. I, I think oftentimes one of the things we teach lately, more than ever actually, is when someone... Challenge you, challenges you or gives you, quote-unquote, an objection, I like to know what's behind that. Like, it, at surface value, it might be a question that I might hear as an objection, but it might be a genuine clarifying question or it might be a reason. There might be a reason why someone's asking me a particular question or giving me a particular challenge at a particular time. So I think before kind of knee-jerk responding, I think it's just a good idea to get more information or at least kind of see whatever's being said from the other person's perspective. it's about listening, but it's also about being comfortable with pause, right? <laughs> Most sellers just want to run their mouth because they think they have to. And we all get very uncomfortable with the silence in the conversation, but really pausing and taking the time to listen and understand the person's objection challenge before you respond. Definitely. A lot it's a great thing. Oh, sorry. That's okay. A lot of times we um, we find that salespeople feel like you have to be the one that's handling the objection and the action is on your part, but it's actually really up to the buyer who has to decide whether that objection is a deal breaker or not. And so if you're thinking about 
Um, what am I doing? What are the exact words that I need to say? How can I script this perfectly? And you're so focused inside yourself and you're trying to jump in immediately. As soon as they say this, I'm going to jump in and say this. Sometimes if you pause, somebody will bring up a concern like Charles said, and they're just kind of bringing it up because they're thinking through it. And then they'll say, oh, but wait, we could do this instead. And they handle it themselves. <laughs> and you didn't need yeah. to do anything. I think we've all seen that happen sometimes. And I think in that dialogue, you know, the back and forth that ensues when someone states what their objection is, part of that is asking very powerful questions. Absolutely. Why the person on the other side of the desk, I think of how many times someone would ask me these powerful questions that stopped me in my track and made me think twice that I hated right. at the time, but they were very successful because they got the seller. You know, the answers you need, whether it's asking, you know, in a CNN headline, what are you really looking for? What marketing challenge can we help solve for you? So you're putting the onus back on them, right? So these aren't closed-ended yes or no questions. They really are insightful and they come from a place of curiosity. Definitely. So incredibly important. Um, I know we've kind of started to touch on this, but I'd like to spend a little bit more time on it. What do you think are some of the most common objections that sellers receive? Do you see patterns and kind of categories that tend to crop up? And do you think that that relates to, as Charles was saying earlier, kind of what buyers say is not always what they mean. Absolutely. What do you think buyers are most concerned about, whether it's coming out, you know, whether it's coming across the way that they want it to or not? I think for a lot of buyers, you know, they may say, oh, it's the money, it's the time investment, and... Sometimes it's just pure laziness, honestly, <laughs> that they're afraid that it's going to give, that's going to be more work for them, right? That they're yeah. going to have to write the recommendation up to the client, especially if the client, right, really wants a lot of rationale and they're short staffed. Um, and well, I have a clarifying question right now, so don't hear it as an objection. Okay. But when you say write it up for the client, were, were you talking about potentially a buyer writing up for yes. their client? Oh, okay. Absolutely. Okay. And making a recommendation. Um, I think the other big issue that doesn't get said often enough is that the idea is just cookie cutter. Then what you're selling, you haven't differentiated your selling proposition. So, mm -hmm. for, so for instance, let's say, and I did work on Colgate, okay, sometimes people would send us a proposal, and once they actually sent it with Crest, with their <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. they did not even take the time to erase it. And that's what I mean about cookie cutter proposal. Right. When, and that's really what buyers hate more than anything else, you know, is when you haven't taken the time to really get to know, to understand, to prepare, you know, your knowledge of that client's business. And I love that. I kind of heard two different things that you mentioned that I want to spend a little time on. One was a lot of times we're hearing objections to, um, to our offering and we think that they're judging its price or its um, its value or something else about it. You know, it's not the perfect fit, but it might be about the actual implementation and the delivery and, and what's going to be required for them to do when you said it might be laziness. I think that comes up um, when you were talking about, it sounds like you were, if, if somebody was selling to an agency that would then have to pitch it to their client. Yes. Um, so it, whether it's a multi-party sale or whether you're just selling directly to a client, but they think I'll have to implement this. You know, it's a software solution. I'm going to have to fit it into all my other things, and set it all up, or it's a benefit and I'll have to make sure that it connects to all of my other benefits or um, it's anything else. I'm going to have to communicate to my employees. I'm going to have to deal with other vendors and it's a lot of work for them. And so if you don't do the, the work in the sales process 
um, that's a piece of your offering that maybe you're not really speaking to and you're making it sound hard. I also have a thought on that, that it's also about getting in front of the right people. Like mm. I read an article in HBR where they talked about getting in front of clients who are mobilizers versus talkers. So the mobilizers, they build consensus in their organization. They're the teachers. Um, they constantly want to know more. With the talkers, a lot of times they're friends, right? You've been calling them for 20 years. You go out to lunch once a month. They may tell you some gossip, some information, but they're not going to go out of their way for you, right? Yeah. And that's where most people spend their time is with talkers because they're easy. Right, to get meetings with because they're everyone's best friend. Yes. It's more important a lot of times to get to the people that can bring, build consensus in the organization. And they're much much tougher conversations with mobilizers because they're going to ask you a lot of questions. A lot of times they're skeptical, but it's not because they're mean or mad, it's because they genuinely want to know, know more about what you're selling. Yeah, they're qualifying you as a buyer and you're qualifying them as a seller. Um, I love it. I mean, I think sometimes the more challenging a conversation, at least from my perspective, when I look back on some of the deals I've, I've worked on, um, the more invested the buyer seems. The talkers, to your point, are literally happy to hear themselves talk. And those are the ones I have to fight to really ask a serious question, not just shoot the breeze all the time. And we all know those people, right? They're the first ones to reply to an email, right. to return our call, and we're doing meeting that. without any description. Sure. They're doing that with you and everyone else. And a lot of times they see it as a means to an end to advance their own career. Mm-hmm. You know, which is why they're spending a lot of time to sell us. Not always, but it's been my experience that that happens. And I think that used to be more the case that people were able to get comfortable like that. And now their managers are telling them, what are you getting out of these meetings? What's, you know, what's the point of this? And I think a lot of people have less space, less time to have pointless meetings, whether you're a buyer or a seller. And so um, there's pressure, even on those people who love to talk, they say, I'm networking, I'm doing something. So they're getting the pressure from their bosses to be tougher. Right, and that begs the question, how do you get the meeting right in the first place? Because we're living in this world where it's really hard. Yeah. People are bombarded. Yeah, it's so really hard. Want to do, so many people want to do business, right? Over Slack or yeah. just messengering. And face-to-face meetings are still critically important for building relationships Agreed. in most industries. Maybe not all. Yeah. Especially in a consultative cell, I think uh, it's really important. Right, and that's where the industry is moving. Yeah. Right? It's selling not just products, but also a partnership. So I'm actually taking something away in this conversation about objections in general. And that is first thing that I'm realizing is that when you get, quote, objections or challenges, that actually indicates a serious buyer, more likely. So rather than shy away from it or avoid it or fear it, to me, it's like we should embrace it and we should look for that as a salesperson. So I really like that a lot. I really like being... um, being ready for that kind of uh, uh, conversation, hard conversation, which means it's probably a serious buy on the other side of the table. Definitely. Um, I know we heard some of the categories from George, but Charles, did you have categories of common objections that you notice either, again, as a seller or as a buyer? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say there are five that I typically think about. And the first one, and and these aren't the objections themselves, but the categories, as Elizabeth's asking. So a series of challenges might be in the category of, do I trust you? Uh, 
So if I trust you, I want to. If you're going to give me information, if you're going to make promises, if you're going to talk about your product or services, do I even believe what you're saying to be accurate or true? So there's that whole trust factor. The other is, are you the person I'm speaking with, i.e., the seller? Again, this is from the buyer's perspective, representing a competent company, and are you competent? And can you provide a competent solution? So for me, aside from trusting you and trusting whether you're telling me the truth or not, secondarily, do you know what you're talking about? No, that's a simple that's what I love and a lot of my clients love. They've told me a case studies. Mm-hmm. Like, just give me a case study. Tell me what the challenge was, what your solution was, if you have any ROI. Yes. And that's also something that a lot of buyers you know, are asking for now. Prove it, right? You want something that's going to prove your, your statement. Yeah. So there's, do I trust you, prove your competence and your accuracy? Um, I think another thing that I find, again, I'm referencing more of a consultative sell, is I find buyers, at least with me, want to know if I'm going to stick around. Am I just looking for a transaction and I'm gone? And then when I have a problem, the person I was building all that rapport with and that relationship with, I've lost leverage over. So I want to know if that salesperson is just one and done, close a deal and, and gone, or is that person going to be sticking around So because we invested so much time? Um, I think another one, number four for me, is can you provide me with something I don't know that I don't know? Because I think, again, today, and it kind of references what you were saying earlier, George, about how it's hard to get a meeting and it's hard to get in front of people and it's hard to get mind share. Um, I think largely people want to weed out those that are adding value. If you're perceived as adding value, I think one of the areas to do that is to don't just tell me what I already know. Don't just tell me what I don't know, but allow me to discover something that maybe I don't know that I don't know. I was like, you said something that I wasn't even thinking I needed to talk about, but because you put it on the table, you opened up a new insight that I had missed completely. So I think that's a big part. It's doing the homework. I mean, there's so many ways for you to get familiar with the client's business, right? Whether it's going on their website, what I love and still do is following you know, CEOs, CROs, CMOs on Twitter, right? Absolutely. A lot of time finding out what they're posting about is a great way to find out what's on their mind, read the annual report, you know. They don't want a seller coming in, in my experience, is going to ask 10,000 questions right, about right. their business. Because they didn't do their homework. Right, read the trade. I mean, there's a trade for every category. I worked on all these trades. <laughs> um, you know, imaginable. I love what Charles said just about trust. Google has done so much you know, studies on psychological safety in the workplace, which is all about building trust. It's yeah. important whether you're a team of 100 people, five people, or two people, and back and forth conversation between buyer and seller. So many times we wouldn't give people the business because we had a bad experience with them and they did something slimy. Yeah, big time. That can take years to go away, too. People will hold it against them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then my last category, number five for me, and this one I really want to get you guys' opinion on, is it's the one that everyone panics and avoids talking about till the last minute, and that's price, right? So I'll just set it up by saying I'm a buyer. If I'm an enlightened buyer, or at least if I'm a buyer that feels 
you, I can trust you, you know, you've passed all those other hurdles, and now we're talking about price. I think the last thing I want to know, and the category of, of objections or challenges might be, I don't necessarily want to get the lowest price, but I want to pay the highest price. I want to pay a fair price. So I'm curious how, how do I as a buyer know if you as a seller are giving me a fair price other than you saying, hey, by the way, I'm giving you a fair price? I mean, when I worked in a meeting, we had a database, you know, across how many hundreds of different clients. So we knew, you know, pretty much what a fair price was and someone, when someone was ripping us off. So okay. in other industries, maybe we don't have that database. It's just talking to people, you know, as you're meeting them and just getting a sense of what the price is. But it's only about price in terms of dollars and cents. I think about its value. It's really about what is the value yeah, that you're giving point. me in terms of the solution you know, that you're providing for me. My feeling has always been, I think it's applicable to any industry, if you want something bad enough, you will find the money for it. A lot of times it's maybe taking business away from someone else who really isn't doing the job you need them to do. But price should not be the only or the paramount objection. Unfortunately, a lot of times it is because the seller hasn't, hasn't demonstrated the value. Yes, good point. I'll give you a scenario. So our company just moved. We're buying a bunch of furniture. We're spending a lot of money in moving costs, etc. And by and large, and, and I'm curious if, if Elizabeth endorses this, we, we don't usually challenge people on the price. Like we've, we've developed that relationship to get furniture, to get equipment, uh, and some of it is pretty pricey. Um, but at some point, i got to be honest, as a buyer, I'm thinking to myself, well, I've been working with this person and I just got another quote. Now, three of the quotes before, we didn't question any of the pricing. But this quote seems to be a little high. Do I? And then obviously I'm thinking, hmm, do I want to kind of come across as cheap? I don't. But by the same token, I've never challenged this person on price before, but I do feel in my gut that the last quote was a little above perhaps what I was expecting. So I'm sort of in that quandary of, and I guess other buyers are probably in the same quandary. They've developed a relationship, but now they're questioning. And so how would you as a buyer or even as a seller address um, a situation where you're breaking a pattern in essence and going back and perhaps asking for someone to sharpen their pencil? And, and what would be a good way to do that? I mean, I don't know if I'm the right or wrong person to ask, but I was known as a very tough negotiator. You know, someone who's tough but fair. I was working in media, which a lot of clients, you know, thought was a commodity. So for a lot of our clients, it was about getting the best price. But it's also, I think, about beyond price. What else is important to that person? You know, what other value add, you know, can they bring to the party? But... To go back to your specific question, yes, I would be very blunt and very direct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is true, I guess. That's and a to good be way. honest, yeah, it's an honest approach. The person, yeah, right? yeah. But never to lie. No. You know, obviously, there are people who play games with price. But yeah, we're not like that. get that back. Yeah. As you're talking about trust. Definitely. And I think it's so important. Um, if ever you're beginning to develop that sense, is this person, this company taking advantage of me? You want to make sure to have that real conversation 
and get on the same page before you start to get caught up in your head. They must be taking advantage of me. It yeah. must be overpriced. Quoting yeah. me, I'm probably their easiest mark. They're probably laughing in their office about how <laughs> I just paid the invoice without thinking about it. And you start to like build these stories in your head. Um, and it's worth just having the conversation, kind of pop that balloon, like get, get to a place of, of more comfort and safety. Because otherwise, you're going back to that foundation you said, Charles, which is trust. Yeah. And you're beginning to think, you know, should I be trusting you? We want to have these vendors, these partners that we work with long term. And we just trust that every time they send us a bill that it's fair. But if we start to build a picture in our head that they're not who we thought they were, um, that can really cause a relationship to become toxic. So you need to have that conversation um, quickly. It's trusting your gut too, because yeah. if you have a gut feeling yeah. that the person is not being, you know, above board with you. Then I wouldn't go with them. No, but you know what? This is really this is really helpful because I'm thinking now. I'm switching roles, right? I'm thinking as a salesperson, um, and again, I got another nice insight, and that is that when you establish trust as a salesperson and you can tell when someone trusts you Absolutely. it isn't a one and done it's like you got to keep coming back mm -hmm. and reestablishing trust and that to me is for anyone listening if you were a salesperson I, I think you can't lose if you have that perspective that i'm really going to continue to make an effort to continue to be trustworthy, maintain trust, not like, oh, that person trusts me. Okay, I'm done. You know, I can just continue now and take for granted that they trust me. That's really um, something I just... You're right, and I also think it's important to build that trust with more than one person in the Definitely. organization. Yeah. Because a lot of salaries, they call on the same person over yes. and over and over again. Right. And that person leaves, right? And everybody yeah. like, why have you been paying this bill exactly. for six years? You know, yeah. Yeah. that saying that we all can be hit by a bus. Yeah. You know, so right. what's your plan when that happens? Yes. Yeah. That's why you've got to get to know the, what I call the mobilizers or influencers. Yeah. My, uh, my boss at his favorite expression, I, mean, if I, I, I hear it almost on a daily basis, sell deep and wide. <laughs> that was it. Absolutely, and that's what we're talking about. And even buy deep and wide, right? If you're yes. a buyer and the only person that you engage with at the client account is the salesperson, you know, can you get some relationship with other people? That's where you can also evaluate, is the salesperson... Um, being honest with me, are they, you know, do, do I seem like I'm, I'm a valued customer of this client? Um, if you're buying enough, can you engage with a leadership team, you know, and figure out, can you can you partner with me on something? And really, um, as a buyer, doing some work there, too. And it's timing, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. It's making sure you, are, if you need to get back to the person, right, which you probably will in some cases um, to flesh out. You know, you'll come back to the objections, do it in quick and, yeah. you know, not waiting two weeks to get back to someone because right. that really drives people crazy. And again, that doesn't build trust as part of a relationship. All right. We're, I'd like to get us back to um, where we were a few minutes ago. And we were talking about kind of reframing objections as healthy challenges and really thinking about when I hear an objection, what that means is that I've got an engaged buyer. They're, um, they're committed. Um, and so if we're thinking about objections as healthy challenges, how does that change the conversation between the buyer and the seller? What could maybe a salesperson do in that situation that would help it um, help drive to a successful conclusion? And how can we as buyers um, be more of a, maybe an effective partner? When you said, George, that you always viewed yourself as a partner um, and wanted to, wanted to be a partner to a salesperson. How can we be better buyers um, when we're thinking of objections as challenges? 
Um, I was looking at you, but okay, I'll jump in. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to go a little philosophical, and that is that all the best quote-unquote buyers, I, I call them clients, are the people that I feel truly have respected me as a salesperson. They told me that. And so when I hear a challenge, I tend to think of them as, as healthy. And um, a healthy challenge always in my book is a sign of collaboration. And um, I welcome challenges. It's not something I, I, hide, I hide from. To me, it's, it's maybe someone didn't quite understand or maybe they misheard or maybe they, they're challenging me because um, I contradicted myself in a conversation. So I, I, I look at this as a collaborative thing. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's also about the, the challenge as an opportunity. Yeah. You know, as well. And with turning it around, it flipping more as a positive. Hmm. And it's also knowing the person across from you. If they have a history and there are people in my industry who have a history of just being mean, yeah. difficult for the sake of being difficult, yeah. you know, and argumentative, but he or she controlled a lot of money. Yeah. So they had to get in to see this person, but they knew going in. Absolutely. Yeah, and there are some people who um, either it's their personality and they just like that, or they feel like that's the role I have in this organization, that I need to be the one that's going to find all of the potential problems and gaps. And so I'm going to be the bad guy. And every, you know, every PO has to come through me and I'm going to try to discover what are the potential problems. Um, and that's a value they're adding to the organization. And so if you know kind of who that is, you know, as a salesperson, I better be super prepared <laughs> before I go right. into that. And I'd love to see them as leaders with managers because they're probably of the command and control variety, you know, not an organization collaboration because how you are, let's say with a seller, is probably how you are in your life and with your team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking about a lot of the time, I think people challenge because they've been burned in the past. Yes. Like, you know, they've, they've been made promises to, or people have said things and because they didn't challenge, they took something that they shouldn't have taken. So again, healthy challenge can oftentimes indicate some history. And I think if we could find that out, that would be really helpful. You know, as a salesperson, um, I don't know how you do that, but it'd be nice to know. I also think, you know, I know in my case that I mellowed with age. Yeah. You know, when I was very young in my 20s, doing all these negotiations. And, you know, I thought it was about proving myself how much money, you know, I could save the client. Hmm. So I was much tougher yeah. on people then to the point where I sometimes had to apologize, you know, mm -hmm. call the person back if I felt that it was really tough. Yeah. On that person, so eventually I became more comfortable with myself and with my role, with the responsibility. And so I really, I think I came to approach things from a learner mindset versus a judger mindset, right? Yeah. Two very different things. It's about curiosity. Definitely back to all the way from the very beginning. Yeah. It's so incredibly important. I think um, just being in that middle space when you're kind of in between somebody who's selling you and you know you're going to have to sell what they're selling you, you really get that strong sense of what works and what doesn't because you're kind of practicing both sides of buying and selling all the time. I mean, I think the worst thing is when, you know, I would express an objection or the challenge and then the person would just come back, not even think about what they're going to say and lie. 
Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than that. Definitely. No, no. And I do this too. If you don't know the answer, just tell the person. I don't know. And hopefully they will have the health and respect for that. If not. Yeah. I don't have that information with me, but I'll there's get that to you within 24 hours. Either, you know. And I'll head right back to my office and right. find somebody who can give it to you. I don't know. I've yet to meet a perfect salesperson, a buyer. And, <laughs> what? Definitely. And I really believe that you never can evaluate the strength of any relationship until you've been through some level of difficulty, whether it's a personal relationship or a professional relationship. And so when it, you're beginning a professional relationship, when you're beginning that sales cycle, you don't really get a sense of who the person is until there's some level of friction. And then you get to see, do they get angry really quickly? Do they kind of get frustrated and snap back? Are they patient? Do they give people the benefit of the doubt or are they really skeptical? And really working through kind of an initial couple of challenges or, or, or questions, um, that gets you a strong sense of who the person is. And that's where you begin to build, build trust. I also think, you know, because we're getting on a topic that I love, which is talk about human emotions and vulnerability. And it's something, you know, I'm a big believer in and at Vestige, you know, the work I do with CEOs of small to companies, we, you know, we're trying to go deep all of the time and there's an opportunity as a seller to do that with buyers you know how do you leverage different types of emotions that buyers have right yeah. so some buyers maybe you love to do business with so i would you know they leverage empathy and curiosity you know let's not everyone has you know positive emotions that they exhibit so sometimes you may need to leverage negative emotions like fear greed and ego as a way to get in the door or submit a proposal I'm going to embarrass you now, George. So I've seen George in action um, moderating a group twice now, actually. And you do a really, really good job. And it's interesting because reflecting back on seeing you in action, you struck me always as being direct, but in a caring way. But, but, but not shying away from being direct. And, um, you know, you're working with CEOs, you're working with senior executives who, frankly, you know, I've been around some of those, you know, they don't, they're usually the ones giving the challenges. And when they get challenged, it's interesting to see how they take it. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Um, I want to kind of pivot a little bit away from the topic and kind of get through some of the questions we like to always ask our guests. And obviously, I love Charles's perspective here as well. But um, what's something that you've learned in the last few years that has really changed how you think about business, whether it's specifically applicable to objections or just in general? One of them we just talked about, which is, you know, looking at human emotions and, you know, particularly at vulnerability and someone's hot buttons, you know, within ourselves, but also within the other people that we're doing business with and really not underestimating that and also not underestimating the power of storytelling. As well. mm. And that also can be useful in how you, you know, handle objections, right? I think a good person knows how to talk. A great salesperson knows how to tell stories because we all love a good story, whether we're eight or 80 years old. And there's so many elements of storytelling that are applicable in sales, whether it's using metaphors or you know having a high point climax and so on and so forth, that we really are light, eyes light up versus someone coming in and just talking straight from a PowerPoint. Enjoy. 
Definitely. I find that one of the easiest ways to, um, to respond to an objection that somebody might raise, especially if it's kind of an operational objection, you know, that sounds like it would be difficult to implement. Say, oh, you know what? I hear that a lot. I actually had a client Absolutely. just last week and they had been really concerned that implementation would be difficult. And we were able to get them up and running in one week. But let me tell you how we handled this yes. to someone else. Yeah, and it just it also affirms you're not I'm I'm not judging you. I don't think that you're too concerned. I, I validate your concern. I believe, you know, I get it. Lots of people think that, you know, I understand. I might be concerned if I were in your shoes. But let me tell you why we can get through that. It's a very collaborative um, partnership conversation as opposed to you're wrong. It is easy. I think it's also balancing stories and stats. You know, there was a study and it showed overwhelmingly that you know, buyers preferred hearing stories over stats. You know, it's very easy to get lost in numbers, and I think some sellers do that on purpose, particularly if they're not comfortable with what they're selling. You just want to throw stats at you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we live in a data-rich world, let's face mm -hmm. it, but it's very easy to get lost in that data, and sometimes it's too much data. You know, we don't yeah. know what to do with it. Definitely. You know, um, George, something you said earlier about with years, you've gained some experience and wisdom. I, I really love what you were saying earlier about emotional, uh, the emotions and storytelling. A client, I, I never forget, a client a number of years ago said to me, I don't know why, but when you come into my office, you make me feel good. And I think that goes back to something I've learned, back to the question in the, in the last few years, is to really trust my gut like someone could be telling me something and i'm hearing it and it sounds logical but my gut tells me it doesn't feel right yeah. or the other way someone's saying something that maybe they're having a hard time expressing but something about who they are being willing to struggle through a conversation clearly dedicated to getting the answer maybe not giving me the perfect answer and my gut tells me you know what this guy makes me feel good this person makes me feel like they're, they're doing the best to create a good um a good rapport and and they care um but but i i think in terms of what i'm seeing in the last few years that i'm learning selling's become much more problem solving oriented and i don't know about you but do you remember the days when people would literally sit down and meet with you over lunch yes. for two hours? I don't see that happening as much now. It's all, it's email, it's social media, it's quick phone calls, if any. Um, and meetings are like, uh, even the phone calls, you know, now I, I, it's very common to do 15 minute phone calls. 30 minutes seems like an eternity. I used to do hour, hour and a half phone calls. And I think everything seems to be getting much more compressed now. I think for me, it's been interesting because now the roles are reversed, right? And I'm on the sales side after spending 28 years on the buying side. Mm. So it took me quite some time in the beginning just to get used to the rejection. Yes. People not returning. <laughs> <laughs> Radio <laughs> silence. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Just think back to all the people you did that to over the years. Yeah. And Absolutely. Right. And I'm sure. Apologize to every single one of them. And I'm sure there's a great many of them that are laughing. Yes. <laughs> 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 themselves. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. I think most people, anybody, um, especially as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you have you sit in both of those seats. Absolutely. And so maybe apply a little bit of those feelings you have as a seller to yourself as a buyer <laughs> and try to maybe be the kind of buyer you'd like to have. I'd rather get a quick no 
you yes. know, chasing somebody for a long time and finally get to know, or just fade off and finally decide they must have been telling me no without ever telling me no. Absolutely. And I'm very, very results-driven, so you might say impatient. Um, so I'd like result, you know, I want to hear yes or no very quickly. Yes. And so that's been an adjustment, the cadence of sales. And a lot of cases you're laying seeds, right? Yes. But I do think there's a, there's a lot of bad selling out there also. Absolutely. And that's making an impact on how people are buying. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a classic example on my end, which is, you know, we hate radio silence, obviously. But I get people who I have no idea who they are send me an email and then I may have missed it, probably missed the first email. And then I get the second email. Did you get my first email? Then I get a third email. Uh, why are you not getting back to me? And I'm like, I have, I have no idea who you are. I, I have to now go back into my inbox and figure out, do a search on this person only to find that I never made a request for anything. They just, but they're, they're making this like real, difficult they're making it difficult for me to want to even interact with this person because mm -hmm. they're already displaying some hostility because i didn't get back to them the worst is when people <laughs> send chocolate phones there's a lot of cheesiness <laughs> out there. <laughs> All right. Um, well, one of the things that we love to provide to our listeners is recommendations for books that they can read. So whether they're related to this specific topic, what are some of your favorite sales or business growth books that you could share? George, why don't we start with you? I think I talked a lot about powerful questions. And I think a great book is Change Your, Change Our Questions, Change Your Life by Marilee Adams. I love anything by Simon Sinek, especially Star of Why. Nice, me too. Uh, so, so many people, most CEOs don't do that. Uh, I also love Adam Gray, so the originals I love. Um, mm -hmm. Just a lot about creativity and perseverance, you know, how a lot of the great ideas took so many years. A lot of failure. You know, Steve Jobs just didn't come to be Steve Jobs overnight. Yeah. Think bingo. about his period in the wilderness, his exodus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's come back. I mean, absolutely. Big time. Well, I'm making notes. I, I want to read some of these books. I read a book a year ago, and it was on negotiation. And um, <clears throat> it's written by a guy called Chris Voss, who was the FBI's top hostage negotiator. And everyone I've referred this book to has always shot me an email or just thanked me. Um, the name of the book is Never Split the Difference, Negotiate Like Your Life Depends on It. It's written by this guy who's got real-world experience. And he gets into the, the beauty about it is, to your point earlier, he talks about stories. He, he kind of like talks in general terms, but he also gets very specific on some of the body language cues, some of the verbal cues, some of the phraseology. I mean, it's really fascinating. And this guy's got a lot of good experience. I think what you said, you hit the nail on the head with nonverbal, right? Yeah. A lot of sellers don't pay attention. To yeah, that. bingo. How you show up. It's very, it's as simple as when someone's coming to get you at reception, is your nose in your phone? Right? Mm -hmm. Is that really the image that you want to portray to someone? Right. No. What if you sat there or even better stood up? Yes. Right? So you're ready for that person when they come to get you. And just smiling. Charles talked about that earlier, right? You make me feel good. How do you do that? One way is just by smiling. Yeah. It sounds so simple. And be stuff. genuine. 
Absolutely, but some, and you can tell when someone's not changing, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> a super fake smile, but right. not a good smile. <laughs> but what can you do so that you can smile in a way that's real when you're there? You know, thinking good thoughts about this kind of thinking about how you value them, thinking about the good work that you've done with them or could do with them. So even if you're not in the mindset, you can kind of get yourself into that mindset to be authentic. Absolutely, but if you really dislike someone, it's oh, hard to do it, that. It and it's going to be a pair to that person, but I like to come at anything in life that most people are good, right? And they are. Bingo, yeah. And I think there's good in everybody. You just have Absolutely. to look for it. Right. Some people you have to dig deeper. Right? Yeah. Like we talk about positive emotions. <laughs> 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 some people make it harder than others to find the good. I just bring some that ease, yeah. right? I know you only have 15 minutes, so let's make the best use of your time. Yeah. As opposed to going in there with your own agenda and making it better versus I'm going to talk three times People this appreciate that. Right. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Now, we at CFS are always talking about sales playbooks. We're a sales playbook Charles company. Loves that. We do uh, I certainly do. Playbooks. And so we always love to ask our guests to share um, tips, tricks, advice, things, tools that people could add to their own sales playbooks. So I'd love to hear from each of you. Charles, I don't know if you have one, but George, why don't we start with you? What are some things that that listeners could include in their own sales playbooks? Okay. Mine's not really about objections, but it's very simple. Go for it's it. It's very tactical. Okay. It's about making, most people treat their out of office message, right? It's very, very passive. I'm out of the office till June 20th. Don't call me or email me. <laughs> I've limited availability, right? Not looking at email. So and so, but what if you were to make it more active? I'm okay. out of the office, but look what we've done for X, Y, and Z clients. Or take a look at what we have coming up next month or this new product. Are you making stuff. notes, Elizabeth? This is good stuff. Right? So you're surprised the heck. Yeah, people love it. A call to action or something. So you mean like instead of the passive, you know, yes. I'm not here, so you're out of luck. I'm not here, and maybe you want to check this out. And yeah, so find out. When I come back, we I'm do next Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Wonderful. What about you, Charles? So I'm, I'm going into George's camp. I'm not going to talk about handling negotiations. One thing, maybe this is just topical because a few clients are asking for it, is selling against the competition. I think salespeople need more of that. So if we could have some templates, some links to research on the industry, on your competitors, I think a lot of the time salespeople, and I fall, fall prey to this, like, we don't think we have competitors or we think we're the best or we need to we need to realize that there are other people in our space who are good and who are talking to the very people we're talking to it's knowing that but it's not negative selling and not negative absolutely yeah. yeah you know they spend 80 percent of their time talking about the competitors like, and 20 percent the themselves. there's nothing that will turn Right. You mean like saying why we're better? Yeah. 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 So there you go. That's the perfect thing that maybe we should have a section in the playbook that talks about the do's and the don'ts and the best practices for handling questions about your competition. Knowing what they do, right? Knowing what they do. Better saying, you know, they're good also what they do, but here's what we do a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 
All right, um, we're going to wind things down. So George, if, I, I think Charles, everybody probably knows how to get a hold of him, but um, if not, criteriaforsuccess.com. <laughs> what about you, George? If people want to learn more about you and the work that you do, how can they connect with you? They could go on my LinkedIn, George Jackson, J-A-N-S-O-N, or they could go to honestinsights.com. All right, perfect. Well, thank you both for being here today. It's just a little bit of a different kind of an episode, but I hope our listeners really enjoyed the conversation. I know I did. I did, too. I did, very much. Thank you. And I learned some things, too. Me, too. Wonderful. All right, so listeners, you can find the notes for today's show and links and resources for all the different things we've been talking about at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod177. Tune in next week when I will be talking to Libby Gill. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode, where Charles is going to be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have feedback for us, if you have topics, things that we should be talking about, maybe guests that you would recommend that we invite on the show, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, if you have any feedback for us, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review. That helps us learn more about what's working and where you have room to improve. And if you are listening, maybe for the first time, make sure to subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Becker. Happy selling!